breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode of Reform This, the Blaze Radio Network. My name is Zudi Jasser author of A Battle for the Soul of Islam and host of this podcast, this unique podcast where you can find the voice of freedom, the voice of liberty, the voice of an American Muslim who believes in this country, believes in constitutional principles, and believes that the greatest threat to this country, to security, to freedom in the 21st century, is not only radical Islam, but political Islam, Islamism. And Muslims must lead the fight, must lead the battle for reform, for the core ideologies of theocratic Islam that need to be reformed. And this battle starts here. This battle begins in this podcast and shared by many of the other Muslims in the Muslim reform movement. This week is like every other week, if you will. Lots happening, lots to discuss. But obviously the one that I think is on everyone's mind is what has just come up in the past two days. Before we talk about the changes across some of the political spectrum that I think is going to impact work for reformers. I must wish my Christian brothers and sisters a Merry Christmas, a blessed holiday on the birth of Jesus. And may your families, may your dreams, may your prayers in this holiday season be heard. And may this country stay strong, founded on the principles the Judeo-Christian principles of our founding fathers. And to my Jewish brothers and sisters, I hope you had a blessed Hanukkah. I know it was earlier this year and uh, uh, was completed a few weeks ago, but uh, again, I hope you had a, a blessed holiday of celebration for eight days of your holy days, and may also your prayers be heard. And may we all work together to stamp out anti-Semitism, hate that exists in the hearts of those who seek to destroy who we are as a country and people who seek the same things we do as Americans, which are freedom and liberty. In this holiday week, we can't help but remember what it means to be American. We've been fighting for a long time in lands outside of our country. And we've been debating about whether those were worthwhile fights or not. We can have those debates at some time, and today we are going to talk about Syria. But there's no doubt that so many of our sons and daughters join the military, become veterans, often give that ultimate sacrifice, and We honor them. We honor their sacrifice, and we honor what it means to serve this country, to serve this country, to keep us safe, to protect our freedoms, to protect our Constitution, and to protect us from those who do not want to see us survive, who do not want to see us succeed as a country. And whether you're conservative, liberal, whatever your party, whatever your ideology may be, At the end of the day, our disagreement should end at the shoreline. As you know, I've been very critical of the Obama administration for its lame, pathetic, 
execution of any type of policy when it comes to Syria, when it comes to Iraq, the vacuum they left in Iraq, the inability to fight a war to conclusion and to win the peace in Iraq, which the Obama administration lost. And as many of you know, while I've supported the Trump administration on many of the policies that have proven to be consistent with my conservative ideologies and those that I believe are commensurate with the progression of reform interests, be it left or right, be it about human rights, universal human rights, feminism, uh, free speech, uh, anti-theocratic Sharia law, those things I've endorsed and been strongly in favor of protecting who we are as a country and using the resources that are brought forth in a conservative administration to do that. But there have been some policy positions that the Trump administration has articulated that have, I think, proven to require criticism and need criticism because they're just not thought out. They are often isolationist for the sake of being isolationist. And this week is no different. But there are many things that came to confluence this week. And we found out from President Trump's tweets that all of a sudden there, it was time to declare victory against ISIS. That's fine. I think you could have said that six months ago. Nothing's really changed. But he segued from declaring victory against ISIS to then saying that the troops need to be removed. And I'll simply play for you the uh, one-minute video he posted, which really, this time I'll agree versus my staunch disagreement with with Senator Graham last week in his position on Saudi Arabia and the Crown Prince and our response to the Khashoggi affair. Um, I'll agree with him when he said this came out of left field. Here's President Trump. We've been fighting for a long time in Syria. I've been president for almost two years, and we've really stepped it up. And we have won against ISIS. We've beaten them, and we've beaten them badly. We've taken back the land. And now it's time for our troops to come back home. I get very saddened when I have to write letters or call parents or wives or husbands of soldiers who have been killed fighting for our country. It's a great honor. We cherish them, but it's heartbreaking. There's no question about it. It's heartbreaking. Now we've won. It's time to come back. They're getting ready. You're going to see them soon. These are great American heroes. These are great heroes of the world because they fought for us, but they've killed ISIS, who hurts the world. And we're proud to have done it. And I'll tell you, they're up there looking down on us. And there is nobody happier or more proud of their families to put them in a position where they've done such good for so many people. So our boys, our young women, our men, they're all coming back, and they're coming back now. We won, and that's the way we want it, and that's the way they want it. I have to tell you first, to echo some of the comments that some members of Congress on the Republican side, this is not a partisan issue, said, as Adam Kinsinger said, congressman from Illinois, it's a bit beyond concerning. And 
may be offensive to some of the families to hear the President of the United States speak on the behalf of those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, somehow that he may know what they may be saying from above, and that his policy position, which many may disagree with, all of a sudden becomes in the words of those who gave the toughest, the most significant bar none sacrifice you could ever give for your country, which is to die for it. So let's just set that aside. Second, nothing was won this week. And when, he, and when he says we won, this was echoed, by the way, by only one senator, maybe two, maybe Senator Lee, but mainly Senator Rand Paul, who has long been echoing the talking points of Bashar Assad, of Putin, of the Khamenists. You don't believe me? Well, as much as Senator Paul's local domestic opinions may be very conservative and may be uh, about uh, stopping the confiscation of taxes and other things that are very libertarian at their core, abroad he has been very circumspect in his criticism of Iran, very minimal in his criticism of Putin, and actually has endorsed Assad as a fighter of Syria rather than the genocidal psychopath that he is. And I have joked about the fact that he's also an ophthalmologist, but that's a non sequitur, obviously. But Senator Paul this week said, right after the president's remarks, we, he is happy to see a president who can declare victory and bring our troops out of war. It's been a long time since that's happened. So when they say we have won, who is the we? Who has won? President Trump then later tweeted, Russia, Iran, Syria, and many others are not happy about the U.S. leaving. Despite what the fake news, as he said, says, because now they will have to fight ISIS and others who they hate. Without us, I am building by far the most powerful military in the world. ISIS hits us and they are doomed. We'll unpack that in a second, but that is beyond nonsensical. You can't say on the one hand, we've won, we're going to pull out our troops, and then on the other hand, say that the fight's left to Russia, Iran, and Syria. And by the way, let me remind you, no, Mr. President, with all due respect, Iran, Syria, Assad, Putin, do not fight ISIS. They have allowed ISIS, Chechni and Salafi jihadists and every jihadi in the, in the region conduits into coming into Syria so that they can use these militants as a foil in which to shore up their military, shore up their strength on the shores of the Mediterranean, to shore up the Shia crescent through Iraq and into Syria and to Lebanon with Hezbollah, to shore up Russian presence against Western interests in the Middle East, to threaten Israel, to, to fuel sectarian divide and further terror, and also especially to ethnically cleanse Syria of Sunnis, as you've seen an exodus of 7 to 10 million out of Syria into surrounding countries, into Europe. They have not given one rat's you-know-what about fighting ISIS. That was why we needed to do it through the air, land, and sea in Syria. But now all of a sudden circa December 2018. We've won. We haven't even had an operation there recently. And by the way, nobody's answering the question, how many troops did we have that he's talking about? A few thousand? Their presence there, I think, meant a lot. 
and I am strongly against their withdrawal. I think it's abdicating any type of regional tempering that was existing there to Putin, to Assad, to Iran, and the Khomeinis and Hezbollah. So Senator Paul, President Trump, this is, this is the lowest moment I've seen in your administration. We have not won. Yes, I have defended. I have defended with all of my heart the strength with which you handed General Mattis, the Secretary of Defense. You handed him the ability to fight ISIS like Obama prevented his Secretary of Defense from doing, and he decimated them with an unbelievable might, and within six months they were near decimation. But that was in 2017. Nothing's happened recently, and we had a somewhat of a stability. I do believe that our Syria policy was very problematic, but this has now reached unbelievable proportions. We had some troops there that were training Syrian Democratic Forces, and most importantly, I know the Syrian Democratic Forces were few and far between, but there are some secular ones there that were being shored up and were being protected by an American presence, and that were also allies of the Israelis. Now, we also, most importantly to American interests, were protecting the Kurds. Nobody would touch the Kurds as long as the United States was there, and they had their enemies around them from Turkey to Iran to Russia to Iraq. And the vacuum we left in Iraq when we pulled out also had a huge impact upon the stability of the Kurdish region. And that's still playing itself out. It's beyond disappointing. If this continues, this would be an egregious mistake that would be filled by a vacuum of unknown proportions. And it's just a few thousand troops. Now, let me for a second, just for a second, play devil's advocate. I have little doubt that now, if you thought genocidal operations of Assad and Russia were willy-nilly using chemical weapons and, and annihilating neighborhoods and other things, and they were tempered somewhat by American presence, now that's going to be completely removed, and they will be beyond the green light to do whatever they want. But there's no doubt that ultimately they are going to continue to push the envelope just like Putin did in Ukraine. They will push the envelope in Syria to uh, exact a lasting defeat of their enemies. And their enemies include not only the Sunni jihadists, Syria is we has is not has not been won. Syria is teeming with more jihadis than ever. For anyone to say that we've defeated ISIS and then say, well, Russia will take care of them, either they're defeated or they're not. And they're not defeated. Jihad is stronger than it's ever been, and I've talked to you about that before. The jihadis from the Sunni and the Shia side. Assad brought in the Shia jihadis from Iran, Iraq, Hezbollah and others in order to team up and shore up his own Ba'athist military, Ba'ath being the National Socialist Fascist military, to counter the Sunni jihadis that are not only ISIS, but all the 
tens to hundreds of al-Qaeda-type groups, radical Islamist groups, including remaining ISIS. There was just an attack two weeks ago in Strasbourg, France. So uh, this the, the, the recruitment capability of the ISIS ideology continues to thrive. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have not defeated ISIS. Jihadism is stronger than ever. And the cesspool globally of the greatest uh, a cauldron of radical jihad from the Sunni and Shia side is in Syria. So you could then make the argument that maybe we shouldn't be there. No doubt. Nobody was calling for an offensive operation in, Sy- in Syria by the Americans. And if you look at the safety of our troops, we have had a couple deaths, I believe, but it's not been the same as when we've had open operations. We have simply had a stability operation to be a bulwark against those who may threaten our allies. Our allies include the Kurds. They include a buffer zone against any encroachment upon Israel and including intelligence operations for the threats that Russia and Iran would bring into Syria. But I guess that's not necessary. Because now, simply out of left field, we're saying that we won. And you vacate Syria and any eyes and ears on the ground are gone. Can't just be done through technology. And now Iran's Shia crescent, through its client state of Syria, will be complete. Russia's port of the Mediterranean, Tartus, will become a port for Iran, will become a significant threat of Iran upon Israel. So the war, nobody was saying that we should militarily engage the Syrian regime. I thought definitely there should have been prices to pay after chemical weapons attacks, definitely prices to pay after genocidal operations. I thought a UN peacekeeping force, as we saw in Bosnia-Herzegovina in the 90s, was an option that should have been entertained back from Obama. And on, we've talked about no-fly zones, etc., but that genie was way out of the bag, and that was not going to happen. But now to telegraph, as President Trump said he would never do, to telegraph complete withdrawal and simply give Russia and Syria the green light and Iran to do what they want is just un-American. And I have to tell you, if you look at what happened this week, if you just look at it, there was a story at the beginning of the week about Gulen, Fatullah Gulen, the sort of heterodox, almost cult-like figure, but not a threat to a West, living in Pennsylvania, was tagged inappropriately, I believe, by Erdogan as being responsible for the coup. His followers, including tens of thousands of professors, were tortured and jailed. And now he's asking for his extradition. And bizarrely, President Trump's administration said they were going to look at it. An an unbelievable statement to come from the American president. Then you saw General Flynn chastised in court going to sentencing. And General Flynn's one of his primary issues at hand that who knows what's happening behind the scenes with the special prosecutor was his lobbying for the Erdogan regime. Again, I'm not going to get into the details of the special prosecutor case. We don't know all the issues with what information Flynn provided about Turkey and Russia, as not only was he lobbying for Erdogan, but he was also close to Putin. Turkey also was going to get a closure on the deal of hundreds of Patriot missiles 
batteries and missiles that supposedly were going to be used in the war against terrorism. Again, I don't understand how Patriot missiles are used in the war on terror when this is, but uh, I get it. They can probably make a military argument, but I've asked for and pleaded that Turkey be kicked out of NATO, suspended, because they are no longer a democracy. They are not acting like a democracy. They're acting like a populist, autocratic, Islamist, jihadi state. Jihadi Sharia state. A neo-Ottoman aspiring caliphate that is working with Qatar, working with Iran, to create that Islamist triangle from Turkey to Qatar to Iran. Also working closely with the Ikhwan and the Muslim Brotherhood. These are not allies of America. And yet this week we saw the Gulen story, Patriot Missiles, Flynn story, and then Fox broke a story just yesterday at the end of this week saying that perhaps Turkey was going to just go through into Syria to attack the Kurds, which they say the Kurds in Syria are the terrorist part rather than the allies, which there's no evidence to show that. And that they were going to go through the American troops, so America decided to withdraw. Now, I still find that hard to believe. But anything is believable now, folks, when you see Secretary Mattis, who handed in his letter of resignation. I truly became worried when I saw that letter of resignation. But Turkey got all that. What did we get in return? My friends were tweeting that this week all week. It's like, what, what did America get after all of what Turkey got? This withdrawal of the United States from any presence in Syria, as, as limited as our presence was, was a gift to Russia, a gift to ISIS, a gift to Turkey, a gift to Assad, a gift to Iran, and coal in the sock of minorities through the region, of Israel, and of Western democracies and our allies. I'm horrified. I don't know what to say. What is the Trump doctrine? The Trump doctrine, which I thought was beginning to develop itself, has now been into shambles and is basically withdrawal. We will not fight anything until it comes to our shores. And and I hate to be utilitarian about it, but at the end of the day, the only argument I can feel good about is the argument that, you know what? Chemical weapons were being used 40 times with the American troops there, doing very little. We, we really made no impact on the horrific war that Assad fought against innocent populations with over 600,000 dead and onward. And you can make an argument we shouldn't have. So ultimately, why not have America pull out? Let the genocide and destruction become much worse where the Khomeinis develop a, and, and the Turks get into a major conflict where the Kurds are decimated to the point in which we have to then enter a major conflict or the West has to then intervene and then that type of conflict will not be looked upon as a bad outcome from a poorly executed initial policy but rather looked upon as a necessary intervention to protect Israel and to protect the West. That might be utilitarian, it might be a natural evolution of what's going to happen But at the end of the day, I do believe the United States has a humanitarian role in the world. I do believe that 
we should be smart enough to see things as they evolve, that Russia, Iran, Assad are simply conduits for jihadis from both sides, and they want nothing to do with human rights. And what appears to be stable to us is simply buying time until the jihadi spike happens again, and they use the Salafi jihadis to strike at the West, and they use the Shia jihadis to strike internally. So I'm worried. I'm worried. Why does this story about Syria, about American withdrawal, matter to a reformer? Why does it matter to me? It matters to me because as an American, I want to see our country safe. I believe that fighting wars over there prevents us from needing to be attacked here. The attack in Strasbourg, in Paris, in in Berlin, in in the United States, in Canada, wherever you have seen attacks of ISIS, they would not occur if we decimate them where they, the source of their ideology is. And for us reformers, we cannot set up shop in the Middle East. You talk to people who think like me in Libya, in Iraq, in Saudi Arabia. They are in jails, they are being tortured, and they don't have the platforms to do what they're doing. Now in Tunisia, they're developing the platforms. It's beginning to succeed. In Iraq, they had some of the platforms, and then we withdrew, and without adult supervision, the place is deteriorating, and the Khomeinis have taken over. Syria is now going to be no different. Syria is going to become an even worse cauldron of radicalization than it was when we even had some presence. But having a foot in the door is what we had. We weren't effectuating policy. Make no mistake, I do not believe that the American policy in Syria was of any significant value other than a presence that at least tempered a regional overflow, a regional conflict from happening. Now there is no prevention of regional deterioration between Turkey, Assad, the Kurds, Iraq, ISIS, Lebanon. All of these conflicting interests are eventually going to either create a huge confluent threat to Israel and the West, or they're going to internally implode, requiring some tempering because of the proximity to Israel and just the human toll that will entail if all war breaks out between the Kurds, Turkey, and Syria. I was struck by the letter that Secretary Mattis left. There's a lot to unpack there, but I do think that What is particularly striking in his letter is, number one, he's obviously a patriot who loves his country, is struck by the service that the millions of armed forces members that he led, he had duty to. But he made little mention of his president in his departure. He did mention that he shared President Trump's view that the United States should not be the policeman of the world. But 
he spent most of the one and a half pages of his letter talking about my views on treating allies with respect and also being clear-eyed about both malign actors and strategic competitors are strongly held and informed by over four decades of immersion in these issues. We must do everything possible to advance an international order that is most conducive to our security, prosperity, and values, and we are strengthened in this effort by the solidarity of our alliances. You have the right to have a Secretary of Defense whose views are better aligned with yours on these and other subjects. I believe it is right for me to step down from my position. And it's funny how the lamestream media, who for long was talking about having too many generals in the president's cabinet, now is sounding the alarms about the departure of General Mattis and General Kelly. I'm worried about General Mattis much more than General Kelly's departure. General Kelly's chief of staff issue was uh, a lot more politics, etc. But with with Secretary Mattis, this was the effectuation of a global security strategy. And he is saying not only that his views do not align, but he's particularly is making an oblique point, oblique point about our allies. He opened talking about Russia and China. So as a reformer, as somebody who believes that I am blessed to live in a country that gives me the ability to say these things that I do about the threat of theocratic Islam, Wahhabi Islam, Salafi Jihadism, the threat of the Khomeinis of Iran, of the Esedis, of the Ikhwan, the Muslim Brotherhood and their Sunni radicalism, the, the viral cancer that emanates out of Qatar, all these things that just could not be said in the Mideast without being threatened with one's life. A reformer looks at this and says, if America withdraws completely, those vacuums, that absence of the presence of America will be filled will be filled by something else. It'll be filled by autocracy, by kleptocracy, by evil, by autocrats, dictators, and especially by Islamism. And where we don't have a laboratory of battles between theocratic Muslims and secular Muslims, you have the abyss that has been the Islamic world since the 11th century. There has been little progress in the last 1,000 years in the middle in, in the Muslim-majority countries. They have stagnated into fossilization with current Islamic law texts that really date back to the 12th, 13th century. Shafi'i texts that are still sold in most of the West are 12th and 13th century. So as, as somebody who is just in love with Americanism, who believes that the Founding Fathers had not only had it right, but had so much to teach every human being about why theocracy and the establishment of religion doesn't work, and why individual freedom from God rather than from a specific religion, specific formulation of Christianity or Judaism, whatever it might be, that it's actually every individual right from God and not the role of the government to establish religion is the best hope for mankind. As President Lincoln said, the last best hope. So 
when I see America in retreat, as I saw it under the Obama administration, I see the ideas that would be the best way to defeat political Islam in retreat. When a quarter of the world's population is the possible constituency for political Islam and the Muslim Brotherhood and their Islamist ideology, the only way to defeat that is then in retreat. I was so hopeful when I saw Heather Nauert appointed to Undersecretary of Public Diplomacy, and then she only was there a few months, and now she's going to be ambassador to the UN. There's just so much shifting. There's little strategy that's being put into place. So hopeful when Nikki Haley was ambassador to the UN, and now she resigned. So hopeful with Secretary Mattis effectuating clear-eyed strategy. Now he resigns. What's going on? Why did Turkey get everything it did last week? I, I, I don't understand. What did the United States get for this? Why is this administration, which was so clear in the campaign about the need to fight against an ideology and not dance around political correctness about the need for Muslims to own up to radicalization within our faith community. And I, I thought that was tough love that needed to be addressed. And now it almost seems like we're letting the Islamists run roughshod over who our allies would be. The community that has been the safest for Americans in the Middle East, other than Israel, has been the Kurdish community. And now we're abandoning them. What is the message that this sends to folks all over the planet that see our commander-in-chief say that we've won when in fact we haven't. Jihad is against the West and everything is as strong as it's ever been in the Middle East. What is the message that it says when we abandon the Kurds, when we abandon our alliances, the coalition against ISIS that we abandon? I wish I knew more about what Secretary Mattis was referring to, about which alliances he was talking about. Was he referencing President Trump's tough language against the EU? I, I don't think so. Probably the anti-ISIS coalition. Probably the difference in the language used where we're less critical of Putin and Assad and more critical of some of our allies. proportionality seemed to be a little off. But as far as I'm concerned, from a reformist perspective, I'm being a little tough on our president because if a conservative, a candidate who purported to be the winner of the conservative ticket has, has appointed conservative judges, if a conservative cannot see the need in a Reaganite, in a Reaganite kind of fashion for the protection of dissidents across the world, especially among theocracies in the Middle East. If a conservative, if a Republican president cannot see the role that America plays in protecting the peace and advancing our ideas, this is not in an interventionist military fashion, and yet he invokes the spirit of those who've died protecting this country in a policy that many of them will probably disagree with, I get worried. Now, the United States will prevail. 
This is not about one leader, one president. It's about a country that will ultimately find its way to promote freedom because where America does not promote freedom, the vacuum gets filled by dictators, by evil, by Islamists. And I just don't think waiting till it gets to our shores in today's 24-7 social media, 24-7 economics, the impacts of the world shift so quickly that to wait until it truly simply threatens us kinetically is often too late, especially in a world with a billion people in a country like China and hundreds of millions in Russia and elsewhere truly see the world through a different lens. As, Pres- as Secretary Mattis laid out in his letter. Well, we will stay strong. The, 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 the battle against political Islam will continue on this podcast. It will continue day to day through the Muslim reform movement, through the efforts that we all try to do. Talk to your Muslim neighbors. Talk to your Syrian friends, your Egyptian friends, your Saudi whoever it might be, immigrants, that can tell you about the role that America plays, why people are waiting in lines to come here and why they should come here legally. Yes, we need a wall. But our immigrant nation is our identity because we represent something that people aspire to be, to be a part of, and to be. Let's end on a different note. In Qatar, there was a meeting of, of the Doha Conference, if you will. What is that? Doha? They meet every year, and now it's become simply platforming of the Iranian Khomeinists of the Brotherhood and other Islamists. And this year, a clandestine trip of six or seven Democratic congressmen and others happened with very little fanfare. And had it not been for the work of Jordan Schachtel at Conservative Review and a few others, nobody would have known that this trip included the members of Congress that, curious who paid their way. It also included so-called conservative pundits like Rick, I say so-called because just bizarre that they would go, like Rick Wilson from CNN and Michael Steele, former head of the RNC from MSNBC. What are they doing going to a Muslim Brotherhood, basically, conference in Qatar, with headliners out of Turkey and Iran. It's bizarre. But one of the people honored was Bakr bin Laden, son of Osama. He was made an honorary citizen of Qatar after living in Iran for a while, and he had put out in social media that he had dedicated his innovation to the emir of Qatar, studying in Qatar. So I sarcastically said he's the Qatari man of the year. And so this is sort of the context of where we are. Qatar's strongest ally is not only Iran, which they share tons of economic shared interests with natural gas fields and others, but also Turkey. Our allies in the region include Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia. Remember, there's been a blockade between Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Qatar is being isolated. They've been trying to lobby strongly. And after the Khashoggi affair and the assassination in Istanbul by the 
crazy Saudis. And I say crazy because that's just a, a unbelievably brazen operation. Now, it's pretty much standard operating procedure in the Middle East with dictators who slaughter their opponents. opponents. And I've talked before that that shouldn't shift our current policy position, but we've talked about that before on this program. But at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, let's not forget what's happening in the region. Let's not forget who our allies are and who our enemies are. So I think Secretary Mattis's position also on being close to our allies now, is he including Qatar in that? I hope not. It would be nice to know who exactly he was talking about. All I can tell you is that my allies are those who share our values, are those who will move us forward towards the end of autocracy, dictatorship, and especially Islamism first. You can't reform the ideas and thoughts of modern Muslim thinking without first beginning to dissect and take apart political theocratic Islam. And until that becomes a core part of our strategy, and that guides the lens through which we look at Turkey, through which we look at Assad, through which we look at Saudi Arabia, Iran, Qatar, we are going to continue to fail over and over and over. And you put on top of that isolationism and withdrawal and vacuums that get filled by our enemies, it's even more horrific. Always a lot to discuss here on Reform This. It is great to be with you. Thank you for being with me. Have a blessed holiday, a blessed Christmas. Hope you had a blessed Hanukkah. Thank you for being part of the program. Share this on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook, uh, the Blaze Podcast Network. Twitter handle is Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. Also at Reform This Radio. And go to blaze.com backslash podcast. This is Zudi Jasser for Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.